All right, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord one more time here um, as we get into his word. Lord, we're thankful just to be able to come together and meet and to seek you and to praise you and for all that you've done and, and also, God, to hear from you in your word. And so, Lord, we... We come before you now, and we just ask and pray, God, that you would help us to lay aside any anxiety or worries we might have, um, problems that are consuming our mind, Lord. We want to give them over to you. We want to lay them at your feet and trust that you'll help us through those. And, Lord, we, we want to also just remember our brothers and sisters who might be really struggling right now, who can't be here. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're at home um, and ill. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would strengthen their bodies, their minds, their spirit. Uh, encourage them in their faith in you. And, Lord, we pray for healing for their bodies. And, Lord, we know that um, you're able to heal. And so we ask. We ask for healing. We ask for your sustaining grace and mercy. Lord, I just pray to you that you would fill me up this morning uh, with your spirit uh, and that I would say the words you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been making our way through the book of Luke, and um, today we're in Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. So if you have a Bible or if you have a device and you want to pull open your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 13, uh, verses 1 through 9. And um, yeah, if you're able to stand, why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, Luke 13, 1 to 9 says, in God's Word, it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they had suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Now, this past week when we went in talking about Luke chapter 12, um, lots of uncomfortable messages about judgment, about settling accounts with God, and straight talk, if you will. Straight talk. Hard sayings of Jesus, some say. 
And, um, and so uh, that discourse kind of rounds itself off in these nine verses. Because after verse 9, there's, there's a transition okay, to something else. And so we're kind of concluding this, these dialogues that he's had with the crowds and with his disciples. And here we have him really talking about the need to get right with him and the, really the urgency. So now he's really, in these first five verses, he's talking about the urgency of settling accounts with It's not just like knowing the information that we're going to have to give an account, knowing that judgment is coming at some point, but he's really focusing in and leaning into the urgency of the matter. And so that's what we have. These first five verses, Jesus, he exposes a misunderstanding about suffering as he's doing this. And so, and as you saw and heard when we just read those verses, that he mentions a couple of tragedies. And uh, in verse 1, it says there, uh, there were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And you read that and you're just like, okay, what's with the mingling of their blood with the sacrifices? What is that? Um. So, we don't really know which specific historical event this is pointing toward. Lots of speculation about it. But it is uh, seemingly pointing to some situation where Pilate, not known for his kindness, okay, so we know that historically, (laughs) he's not known for his kindness, um, but known for his violence, Uh, he must have killed some Galileans when they were offering their sacrifices to the Lord. And so their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifice. So that's that's the best take that we can have, I think, on this in terms of understanding what it's talking about. So they're talking about that, these people being killed there. And, and, and the question that's being asked is... Uh, Do you think that those Galileans that Pilate killed were worse sinners than the other Galileans? Uh, In other words, why those people? Why that subset of Galileans? Were they particularly nasty sinners, you know? Were they worse than some of the others? And um, and Jesus responds, no. And and this would have been a common way of thinking, um, not necessarily only then, but even now, that a lot of people think because someone has suffered or experienced some tragedy that they must have done something to deserve that. God must be judging them for that. Like In other words, that specific event, uh, he must be doing that, God's doing that to them because um, of their sin. And um, Jesus uh, responds in in saying, uh, no, it's not necessarily that they were worse than anyone else. Um, But he does say, um, you know, rather than worrying about who's a worse sinner, you probably ought to take a look in the mirror and evaluate yourself. 
And he's saying, you need to repent. Um, Stop worrying about whether that was God's judgment or not and why that happened. And so, um, now the next thing that's brought up there in verse 4 is another incident. It says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the other offenders who lived in Jerusalem? So apparently there was a tower at Siloam, uh, which must have been within the confines of Jerusalem, and there was an accident, and it fell and killed 18 people. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the question there. Were, were they worse off, than, you know, worse sinners or worse offenders, it says in this verse, And Jesus, same response, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so, you know, these people are bringing up questions that a lot of times we bring up, which are why natural disasters, why these tragedies, you know, um, lots, you know, basically why suffering and the problem of evil. I mean, just wrap it all up in that, right? And um, now we're not going to cover all that ground today, okay? (laughs) Um, But it is timely for me that the discipleship group I'm in has been talking about moral evil, the problem of evil, and suffering. So I'll just have Skip come up and he can come and the rest. He's in that group. But it's, um, you know, these are real questions that real people have for sure. Um, And uh, I think what we do need to realize, though, and so I'm going to share just a few things. It's definitely not going to wrap up this whole topic in a bow for you. But I think it does give us, we do have a framework. We do have a biblical framework to, to frame this topic a little bit. Um, and, and, but we need to realize, though, that, you know, to be sure, there is a link um, between uh, this suffering in this world and sin in general. Okay? There is a link between just the fact that we live in a sin-filled world and suffering. Uh, There is a link there. Now, um, because if it were really not for the presence of sin in the world, there would be no suffering, right? Sin brought death and pain and suffering into the world. And because the world is under the power of sin, suffering is a daily reality within it. Um. Uh, But the fact that a person, a particular person suffers, does not indicate a direct relationship to his or her particular sin. Does that make sense? So so yes, there is suffering in the world. It is a result, ultimately, of sin uh, having had its effect on our environment and our world. But just because someone individually is suffering doesn't necessarily mean that it's because of something they did, that they did wrong. And I think that's very important for us to get. Um, now, there are some scriptures I just want to point you to, and you may want to jot these down. Um, uh, so in, in uh, Romans chapter 3, take a look there, Romans chapter 3. Verse 10. And uh, 10, 
10 and a couple more verses here. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Um, and that doesn't sell many books when you say stuff like that. But we're not into selling books. We're really trying to understand the reality of the human condition. Okay? When you go to the doctor with a problem, I hope that you want them to tell you the truth. <laughs> so that they can try to fix, you know, um, so you just kind of pretend that, that you don't have the problem. And, and this is really diagnosing the human condition. Okay? And back in Genesis, um, uh, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, and, um, and then you know, sin has been spreading throughout the human race ever since then. Um, and so this is, a, this is our human, the human, we are born with a sin nature. And the less you get that, then you, you, you're, you're, well, first of all, you're, you're, you're creating a false reality. Okay? It's, it's, the reality is uh, we're born with a sin nature. Why do people hurt people? Because they're sinners. Right? And this is, this is the reality. This is the, God is, is um, telling us that um, this is our problem. And so, but when you read verses like that, that there's no one who seeks for God, that there's no one uh, righteous, not one in and of themselves of righteous, and you're like, oh man, that's a really bad situation. <laughs> As That'd be an understatement, right? Uh, and so, but that is reality. And uh, of the human condition. And so when I say that there is a link between sin and suffering, that's what I'm saying, is that you know, we, we are born into this world with a sinful condition and a sin nature. And this is, when you look at that example with Pilate killing those people, moral evil, um, people hurting each other, sinning against one another, it's because we're sinners. And... and you know, um, our, it wasn't just people that were affected. If you take a look in Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 18, Romans 8, starting in verse 18, it says, For I consider uh, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
Do you see there this picture that the entire creation is impacted by sin? And that's the reality. So, you know, we live in a world that have earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes. And I mean, and, and yes, you know, there are some situations in the Bible where some people were judged by an earthquake. Okay, they were. They were swallowed up in the ground. Okay, um, but that doesn't mean that every earthquake is God's judgment. Okay, and so I'm just trying to, to, to just paint this broad brush that, you know, this, there is a connection between sin and suffering. We don't, want to, we don't want to ignore that, but when it comes down to these individual situations, you know, uh, and, and, and you've seen it happen historically too, where somebody in Christendom, unfortunately, will make these statements, yeah, that tsunami that hit those people, it's because they're godless. I mean, really, you know that? You have that insight. God, God, you and God have this understanding that you fully know what he was, what was going on there, right? Like, I don't think so. We're not to make those kinds of judgments. And so, so we, we have this reality that the world around us is affected by sin. Our own hearts and minds and bodies and every part of us if you do your Bible study, will tell you that every part of our being has been affected by sin. And so, so this is the reality that we live in. And, uh, but Jesus is saying, rather than wondering about whether that tragedy was a judgment on those people or why that happened and so on in terms of those questions, he's like, you know what? You should use this as an opportunity for self-reflection. You should use this as an opportunity to say, you know, am I right with God? Do I have a relationship with Him? You know, what's, what's, uh, what those two situations have in common that were mentioned there in verses 1 to 5 is that uh, they were sudden. It just happened suddenly. Uh, you know, and, and, and so he, he's just simply saying, you know, that could have been you. <laughs> and, and if so, would you have been ready? Um, have you repented and turned to God? Have you, uh, are you right with God? This is really what he's saying. You know, a lot of people just don't, they don't parade these things around that Jesus said. They, they say all the nice things that he said, but he's getting real with people. He's like, you know what? Um, you're going to die someday. And you don't know when that's going to be. And, he, and he's just simply saying, you know, you need to uh, make sure that uh, you repent and turn to God. Now, um, this word repent is, um, you know, we just need to understand a little bit about what that means, okay? I think is, is that, you know, what does that mean, Repent. Uh, well, you know, if for first thing, it means it means a change of your mind. You need to have a change of mind. The way you think about God and Jesus Christ, are you thinking correctly? Because if you're not thinking correctly about who Jesus is, then 
Repentance means to change your mind about that, to be in alignment with who he really is, right? Uh, that he is the son of God who's come, uh, right? His first time he came, he, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose again on the third day, he ascended at the right hand of the Father, and that's where he is now, and he will come again. That is the real Jesus. The Jesus who, just the last chapter in Luke chapter 12 says, I've come to judge. Yes, I've come to, to offer salvation, but I've also come to judge. And he's like, I, I've come to do that. And so, so we need to make sure that we um, have the right view of Jesus. You know, you, and, and that's just it. You know, you want to go, you know, when you want to find out the truth about something, you go to the source. Right? You should not, especially if something of this magnitude, you should not rest on secondary sources or tertiary sources, you know, like the internet or movies or other books. You need to go to Jesus' biography in the Gospels, in the Bible. This is where you will find who the real Jesus is. So you need, if you've never done that, just read the Bible with someone who's a Christian. Just take your time going through there and ask your questions. And and sure, there's going to be questions for which we don't have answers. But there will be some questions that you have that are definitely answerable. So I encourage you, you know, uh, so just realizing when you hear that word repent, don't just tune out or say, you know, that's what the TV preachers say and I don't like what they have to say or whatever. But it's a Bible word and Jesus used the word. We're not afraid of it. We just got to say, what does it mean? So we need to change our mind about who Jesus is if it's not correct. And so I just say, you know what? Come to the Bible and you, you read what it has to say about Jesus. And you ask God to show you who Jesus really is. And I say it's, it's also good if you can have another believer. Just you read it together, little bits at a time, and you talk about it. Asking for God's understanding the whole way. And so, now, what's interesting is that Jesus, you know, he, he's calling them to evaluate these things. And so if you don't know for sure where you stand with God, let me just say you can know for sure. Um, in the book of 1 John, he does tell us that, you know, you can know. There is a way you can know that you are right with God. Right? And really, it kind of goes back to what I shared at communion. I'm not going to belabor the point, but but you... If you don't acknowledge before God your sinfulness and that you, that like Romans 3, when you're, you're good and lost, right? Um, and apart from God, you know, you're, you're toast, really. I mean, <laughs> we could go other places with that. But, but you know, just that, 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 that's the reality. So you're acknowledged before God your sinfulness. And, you know, when I did that, that initial, so I confess on a regular basis, by the way, to the Lord. Uh, you, you get saved once, but there's lots of confessing <laughs> because I've still sinned. And 
so does everyone else in the world. But this, this, what I'm talking about here is a unique thing. When you, when you really understand that you need a Savior. And I just thought in my mind that day when I lay in bed in my dorm room that night, and I just thought to myself, and really this was the thing for me, I didn't want to go to hell. I think that's some good motivation, personally. I, I just, you know, hell is a reality that the Bible speaks of. And, and so I was like, God, I know I've sinned. I could just start naming them. The stuff I did to some, let me tell you, the stuff I did to some people in my high school was just evil. It was wrong. And I've made some amends there when I went back, but I'm just telling you, it's like, you know, just just mean. Even to some Christians, I made fun of them. And um, so I just start, these things were rolling around in my mind. I'm like, God, I'm just, I, you know. So sometimes you would say, you know, I, I'm a sinner. It just, it doesn't really hit us. You think about your sinfulness. Like, I, you know, you're not going to be able to recall every little thing, and that's not the point. Connect with the fact that you are a sinner. Our anger or whatever, whatever it might be, right? And so, so when we acknowledge that and we, we say, okay, God, now this Jesus whom I read in the Bible and I see that he... He came to save me from my sins, to forgive me. Because every sin is ultimately against God, even if we sin against one another, sinning against those who are made in God's image. Right? And so when we do that, when you come to Jesus and you, and, and you, you are change your mind about who we are because we're not all these you know, humanism will just tell you you're just wonderful. You are just, you know, it's, it's no, it's your environment. Okay, now, I totally understand environment plays a role in our lives in a big way. But that's not what made you a sinner. Okay? Okay, it's, just, it's, it's in you. <laughs> because of, you know, what happened in the garden. And certainly you have brought your own sins to the table, right? So on that note, just say, you know, if you don't know where you stand with God, you can know. Have you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you acknowledged your need for a Savior and and said, I want to be forgiven. I want you to come into my life. I want you to save me. I know that I need it. And you don't do it going through the motions because there's no magicalness to any particular prayer other than a heartfelt prayer that knows that you're a sinner and knows that you need Jesus. Okay? And so I just urge you, you know, that's what Jesus is doing, saying, like, every tragedy that happens you know, should be a reminder that your life is short. And the ultimate thing is eternity is much longer than the mere 60, 70, 80 years that we'll spend here. And he's like, you need to repent or suffer likewise. So it's very, again, this is a very um, eye-opening and challenging section, but this is really what he's getting at. He's like, stop worrying about those other people over there. Are you right with me? 
That's, that's what he's saying. And then it goes on in those next verses um, and that really just communicate to us that God is patient, but he will not wait forever. <laughs> God is patient, but he will not wait forever. And uh, let me just remind you of this parable that was, mentioned, uh, was said in verses 6 to 9. It says, and he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. I mean, why, why do you plant a fig tree anyway? You're going to want figs. I'm assuming, otherwise you would have planted an apple tree, right? You want figs. You need, you want the fruit. And so that's what is happening. The man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard. It came to look at the fruit and found none. And then he said to the vine dresser, the person who's taking care of the fig tree, he says, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And so then the vine dresser says, uh, answered him and said, Sir, uh, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. So what's this about? Well, I think... Um, there might be a couple layers here, all right? I think maybe on one layer, he might be speaking to Israel. The reason I would say that is because uh, the imagery of a vine is used of Israel a lot. If you read Isaiah chapter 5 and just other places. So he could be, since many of the people he's talking to are Jews, and probably some of the Jewish leaders, but he could be speaking to Israel's in this. Um, and and because you know, Jesus would be found in the synagogue, right, as well as out and about preaching, and trying to you know share the good news of the kingdom with Israelites. And uh, we know that he was on this earth around three years, right? And so, now I'm not saying, I, I personally, you know, there's a lot of things we could go into on this. I personally think, think that God is done with Israel yet, okay? But, um, but, but some think that this is kind of speaking to the fact that his own people would not receive him. And, and, and that is true. That is a true statement. His own people would not receive him, many of them, right? There are a few, for sure, right? Um, there are some, for sure, of uh, the Jewish people who received him then, but many rejected him, right? And so some, some really believe that this um, is speaking to those people and that the vine uh, known as Israel is not bearing fruit. And um, fruit, in this case, would be the fruit of repentance, seeing their need to repent. They so often were just, you know, many, many of the Jewish people there, the, the Israelites, were relying on their spiritual heritage to carry them through. Like, hey, man, 
My great, 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 grandpappy was Abraham. And that makes me all good with God. No, doesn't matter what family you really grew up in, although there was a special thing happening there, right? There got special people. I get that. But he's saying, listen, it's not really about that. And you get this in the New Testament. We get an unveiling of this. It's, It's really not... Uh, what bloodline you come through that makes you a real Jew. It's about whether you've been circumcised in your heart, whether you've accepted Jesus. And that's how you get that circumcision of the heart. It wasn't about these outward symbols of circumcision and so on that identified you with God's chosen people. But it was really, um, have you accepted Jesus? So, um, but one of the things, so actually what I was getting at was Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 says this, when I talk, we talk about fruit. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, now this would have been, um, John. So he put you in the context, it's John the Baptist scene here where he's out baptizing people, okay? And it says, uh, and he said to them, this is what John the Baptist says to the, to the religious leaders there, you brood of vipers, Now, there's a nice opening. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, this is... Um, John the Baptist is laying it down. He basically said what I just said. Not about your your daddy or your daddy's daddy. Have you repented? And is there fruit in your life showing that you've repented? That's what he's saying. So fruit in keeping repentance represents good deeds, changed behaviors that naturally flow out from a truly repented and transformed heart. Um, James, the book of James, right, speaks a lot about um, faith by itself is, is, is dead, right? Faith without works is dead. He's not saying we're saved by works, but um, the works that we do that are the good works that we do are a result of showing that there has been repentance there, right? We've returned from sin to God. So, this is, this is um, you know, Jesus saying there should be some fruit here. There ought to be some fruit. He's telling this, this story. Now, I, I think there's certainly on another layer definitely application to us as followers of Jesus, um, and, and because there are other places, too, that talk about that, that um, we are to bear fruit, spiritually speaking, in our lives. As, as Christians, we are to bear fruit um, in, uh, when we become Christians, when we repent and turn to God and we change our mind about who Jesus is and we recognize who we are. Like I said before, when we put our faith in Jesus and receive his forgiveness, then over time, fruit grows in our life. Right? It might be in the form of character transformation, Right When you read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, 
right? Those are, that's fruit of the Spirit. That's um, evidence that the Spirit of God is working in your life. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. So I, I think that we should, one of the things we should take away from this little parables for ourselves is, you know, there should be fruit in my life. Um, and um, there should be, you know, as you look back over your life, there ought to be some fruit in your life that shows evidence of God's transforming power in your mind and in your heart and in, in your life. And again, it's an, we're an ongoing project here, right? We know that. Uh, in Philippians, we're told that, you know, he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. So we're not going to be done. <laughs> the transformation process is not done until we see Jesus face to face because then it says when we see him, we will what? Be like him. And that's when it will be finished. That's when the transformation project is done. Okay? Let me just turn you to um, John 15. Real quickly here, Gospel of John, chapter 15, as we talk about this fruit. See, when you when you become a Christian, you are connected to Jesus. And you're so you gotta think about it, you know, like that vine, you know, and the and the and we're we're the branches, right? Uh, and Jesus is the vine. This is the imagery we get in John 15. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Um, God the Father, if you will, the vine dresser in this situation. But um, in verse 1 it says, um, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that he does does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You see, you can't just take that branch and say, it's going to make fruit for you. As I was saying, you have to be connected to the vine. So in and of ourselves, um, apart from Jesus Christ, bringing this analogy to our lives as followers of Jesus, we can't bear fruit on our own. We can't hear and say, I'm going to be more kind, I'm going to be more kind, I'm going to be more kind, and that fruit start growing us. Uh, yes, there, there, our will is involved, right? We have to be willing. But, but this is something that Jesus is going to have to do in us as well as we work in cooperation with his Holy Spirit. Because every believer has the Holy Spirit, right? And so he says, he says, um, abide in me. That means remain in me. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that's good news. You see, Jesus has designed us so that as we stay connected to him and then we commune with him in our relationship, we go closer to him. Uh, and he's created us so that 
as we abide in him and rest in him and remain in him and walk in that relationship and yield to him in the spirit, he does cause fruit to bear in our lives. And so this um, parable here certainly speaks somewhat to the fact that God expects his people to bear fruit, to be fruit bearers. And the good news is that um, by design, our relationship with Jesus is supposed to do that. And we need to make sure that we, we, we don't try to live life apart from him, that we live our life with him and in concert with him. I think that's, that's part of what abiding is. Now, but I do think that probably the big lesson in the parable is the fact that, as he says, as, as you know, the vine, the, the owner of the fig tree is saying, okay, I'll give you some grace, I'm going to give you some time, see if we can get some fruit out of this thing. There is a patience there, Right? And as I, as I, so there, God, God is patient towards us that uh, not only um, in the desire to see fruit, but also this, in that patient towards those who have not yet repented, who have not yet returned, had not turned to Christ, like we were talking about earlier. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. So it's God's heart that not any would perish. It's God's heart that not any would reject him. But that all should reach repentance. That's his heart. That's the will of his desire. But some will reject him. And some will die without having received him, without having repented. And so we see um, the patience of God here, but that that patience, too, one day will run out. That he will return, or someone will is going to die. And after that, right, it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. So there's no second chances. There's no recycling. That whole thing about reincarnation, totally wrong. Okay? It's not right. You get one chance. That's it. One and done. And so Jesus is, is telling these people, listen, you know, I'm, 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 my God is patient, and he's waiting for as many who will turn to him as will. But then the time is up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what is, it is a sobering word. And, uh, and Lord, I just pray, Lord, anybody who's hearing this message today, Lord, if they don't have confidence before you, that they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and have repented, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes and help them to reach out for Jesus and receive him as their Savior, knowing that he has paid it all. He's done it all. And Lord, I pray too that you'd help us, Lord, who 
who already know Jesus, who have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, that you'd help us, Father, to see that um, you've designed us to bear fruit. Lord, help us to, to grow in our abiding and resting in and remaining in Christ. And, and our, I pray that our relationship with Jesus would be sweet and growing and going deeper. And, and uh, whether that be through the means you've given us through prayer and through being in the scriptures and meditating on that and making that a part of our lives by your help, by your grace. Whether that be growing closer to you through also through your people or an extension of your body. Lord, we want to be fruit bearers. And Lord, if there's any place where we've kind of been resisting change, resisting bearing the fruit, Lord, I pray that we would just surrender. Let you have your way. Let you bring about that fruit. Some of it's the pruning and it hurts sometimes. But the end result is an abundance of fruit. For your glory, we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.